You know, before a war begins, an uprising, like we see playing out in all different parts of the world today, there's always been an underlying current of some type of social unrest that leads to skirmishes, and then over time it can lead to conflict and sometimes just outright civil war. So I want to challenge all of you today that we, those that call ourselves Christ followers, are we are in such a skirmish, a conflict that is leading to what the Bible calls Armageddon. Armageddon, the beginning of the end, or should I say the end to a new beginning. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. It's already begun. But we're in a cultural Armageddon. The Antichrist that we are facing today is not an individual at this point, but it's the global society at large. It's the culture of the world, which is in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. You see, it begun, all this began when Jesus Christ was born. Jesus came back to take his world back, to free it from the fathers of lies, the father of lies, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. Friends, Christ is truth, and he commanded us to be in the world, but not of the world. And why would he say such a thing? Because the world is full of sin. Our biggest enemy, I want you to hear me here, our biggest enemy is not the Antichrist or Satan, it's sin. The whole reason Armageddon is going to take place is because of sin. That's the whole reason. It's deceptive power. It's allure has infiltrated the hearts of God's people. It's that big lie where no truth exists at all. A world society that right now it's been infected by this big lie. The big lie that says that your self-worth and your security and your satisfaction is all wrapped up in your stuff because the world says it's all about you and it's all about me. Our culture has been infiltrated, and sin is the weapon of choice for the enemy. It's his, if we look at it, like, it's like his nuclear weapon because it devastates lives. It's exceedingly more destructive than any other weapon ever created. Sin is the anti to Christ. I mean, just let history teach us. God did not create Sodom and Gomorrah. Man and his sinful desires did. But what happened to those cities? God destroyed them. The enemy's plan is to attack from within. Capture the hearts and minds of our kids, of your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And when they finally become reliant on the lies of the world, you know what you do? Just like we see happening now, you take it away. And then security and hope, it's taken away and it's replaced with Anxiety and fear. Think about it. It's a great plan. Great plan. I mean, just look at our current situation. We find ourselves. You want to talk about anxiety and fear? How about right here in America? Look at the, look at the current political situation. School shootings. The racial unrest. You got abortion. You got the right to life. You got the economic recession. Morality lines, right? They're blurred. I mean, they're blurred like we've never seen before, right? 
Then there's the international tribulation. Ukraine, Russia, China, North Korea, it goes on and on and on. I mean, I know you all realize this, but you understand we're one mistake, just one misstep from any of these countries, and it's total annihilation. I read within five days of a nuclear war, five billion people will be dead. God hates sin. Let me say it again. God hates sin. He hates it because he can't stand what it does to us. He hates sin so much that he sent his son to show us and to teach and to die so we could be freed from his destructive power. But sometimes, you know, we need to be disciplined. Discipline seems to get our attention. Many times discipline breaks the, breaks the hold of sin's destructive force. Many, many Christians, though, I'll tell you, because I've, I've talked to a lot, struggle with this truth that God disciplines us and that he ultimately will judge us. You see, postmodern culture does not associate love and pain, okay, or discomfort to even suggest that God disciplines people today in vice disdain from both within the church and those outside the church. Friends, this is what I truly, I believe, becomes the crux of everything. Christians have lost the fear of God. People no longer believe that God reprimands his people. Many think that the God of judgment and wrath is found only, only find it in the Old Testament. They believe that the God of the New Testament is set apart by love and grace. I just want you to understand here, that's a skewed understanding of scriptures. God would not be loving if he did not despise those things that rob us, his kids, of life. Our Father hates sin. He knows every ounce of suffering each and every one of you endured because of sin. And let me tell you, friends, God won't tolerate it. God is supreme, and he's going to do what he wants to do. It's a little unnerving, though, isn't it? You know, I can complain all I want. I can be as defiant as I want to be. I can be as diplomatic with them as I can. God is still going to do what God is going to do. God is God. We are not. Well, you could say, maybe you're thinking right now, well, I don't know if I like that kind of God. You know what, friends? This is pretty blunt, but it really doesn't matter. What you think doesn't change a thing. Fear God. Many of us are so disrespectful to God, we walk around saying and thinking, I know what's best for me. Really? Then why are our lives so screwed up? Why are our marriages falling apart? Friendships on the rocks. The kids are messed up. And, and your kids are messed up. And, and they're defiant. And business investments are going south. If we're so good at knowing what's best for us. You know, many believe you can say anything we want to God. You know, I could yell at him and curse at him because you know why? Things are not going my way, so I'm upset. What's he going to do? I mean, really, what's he going to do? He's not going to hurt me. Jesus, remember, he's the Lamb of God. What a calming image. He's so cuddly and he's docile. I'm going to break your bubble here. 
When people in Scripture have come into the presence of God, it is anything but docile. He is anything but cuddly. They had to tie a rope, did you know this, around the priest's leg when he went into the Holy of Holies because there had been times when the priests were in the presence of God that it was so overwhelming they died inside there and no one would dare go in, so they'd pull him out by the rope tied to his leg. Really, it's true. I mean, listen to what John said when he saw, saw Jesus in his full glory. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He passed out. The sight was too much for him to handle. You understand? You just saw, oh my God, just passed right out. It was too much to comprehend. Many in the Christian community have downplayed some of the most unpleasant things God has done. It's like, well, it's kind of like we're embarrassed. Well, you know what? Our God really, he really isn't like that. Uh, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's the God from 4,000 years ago. That's not the God today. Really? Then why does Scripture say, I am the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow? People will say, well, when you read in the Bible, fear of God. Well, it doesn't really mean fear, okay? I mean, it's a good fear. Really? Well, in the fear of God's scriptures, the word fear is derived from a Hebrew word, which actually means fear, <laughs> terror, dread. Although many Christian teachers will downplay the fear of God and use replacement words such as respect, reverence, honor, I think the Hebrew language is pretty clear. Listen to what God says here in Jeremiah 5. 22. He goes, don't you, don't, don't you fear me? Do you not tremble in my presence? Friends, we're talking about a God who created the whole universe, a God who created life into us. Science today is still struggling to try to figure out how all this happened. The same God who created all of this is also the same God who wiped out life on the whole planet. He flooded it. Remember the story? People died real deaths. Families watched their loved ones being carried away by rushing water. Parents watched their children drowned. This is the same God that through Moses that told the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man on the planet, let my people go. And when he refused, God sent an angel of death and took the lives of every firstborn in Egypt. Parents woke up in the morning to dead kids. There was moaning and gnashing of teeth. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? It had not one redeeming value. He destroyed it from the heavens, probably a meteor or something. Everyone was killed. Can I tell you, look at Paul, the Bible, the stories go on and on and on. How about Job? I believe, what I'm going to read to you next, I believe this to be the best description of God. If this doesn't put some fear of God in us, I don't know what will. Job 23, 13. But once, you saw about God, once he has made up his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. 
No wonder I'm so terrified when I'm in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. You see, friends, some of us have this image of God. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is dangerous. It's the grandfatherly image of God. You know, George Burns type. You know, got the thick glasses, the toupee, the cigar. You know, God's my grandfather. God, I, I, I can, God, well, I, I've, I've said this. God, he, he wouldn't deny me. He'd just pat me on my head and go, Polly, hey, Polly, it's okay. Even though you didn't live for me, Polly, and even though you lived an immoral life, and even though you were filled with lust, and even though you had this rebellion, even though you were abusive to your spouse, ah, come on into heaven. Come on in, Polly. Everything's cool with me. I'm like your old papa. Come on in. That picture of God keeps people from really understanding who he truly is. You see, God is a God of love and a God of grace. But as we just saw, he's also a God of judgment and a God who will see to it that our sins are paid for and will judge us on whether or not we know Christ. What I want you to understand here by me saying all that, you're saying, go, what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean God's not going to forgive me? Wait. What I want you to see and what I want you to understand this morning, I want you, this is the way you comprehend the great news of Jesus Christ. You can't appreciate what Jesus did for us until you understand who God is. Do you understand? I mean, he is holy. We are not. He is all those things that, that the Old Testament talked about, but it's because of Jesus and God's offering to us to make a way back through Jesus Christ without total awe, and wonder, terror, and dread, and reverence, and respect for the perfectly and holy God, can we truly appreciate what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for us? Friends, let's get real serious here. Our sin brings us great pain. It caused Jesus Christ, the cross, and it'll destroy us. That's why God does everything he can to turn us away from it. Hear me. There's no such thing as a minor sin. <laughs> Let me say it again. There's no such thing as a minor sin. Can I tell you, if you're telling yourself that, you're lying to yourself. And you know you are. You see, that's a destructive force of sin. This is what happens. See, you begin to start telling yourself that, that it's really not a big deal. And you continue in it, and slowly it erodes your life. Then you can find yourself complaining then to God about your life, you know. God is like, what? What, Paul? How can I bless you? You knowingly are disobedient. You want me to bless you, but you're knowingly being disobedient. See, see friends, the tragedy of sin is that it harms the innocent as well as the guilty. Whether it's things that happen within your family or your finances or your marriage, it goes on and on and on. Sin separates us from God. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, it does? Sin separates me from God? Well, why? well how, do, how? Well, one way is God may refuse to hear our prayers. 
Listen to what Isaiah says, Isaiah 59, 2. It says, but your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You know, God may hide his presence from us. Look at it, Psalms 13, 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How about Psalms 51? Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, God may also withhold his word from us. Like Amos said here in eight, in chapter 8, Behold, the days are coming. Oh, boy. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. But it's not a famine of bread or of thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will roam about to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. You know, also, what happens, God may remove his wall of protection from us. Isaiah 5 says, So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It will be consumed. I will break down its wall. It'll become trampled ground. You know, then God may allow us to face the full consequences of our sinful behavior. Romans 1. So therefore, God said, all right, he gave them up to their vile impurity and the lust of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. I need to understand this. God is not condemning us with this stuff. He's correcting us. He's correcting us. And God, I want everybody to stop for just a moment, just a moment. What's separating you from God today? Is there something that's there? You know, the Apostle Paul made a statement in Romans that is as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Isn't, isn't this our culture right here? Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind or of birds or four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Friends, sin is its own worst punishment. Today, God has removed his hedge of protection for many marriages, for many families, churches, nations. The trials we are facing are becoming increasingly severe. God's people must immediately humble, humble themselves, return to God, restore our relationship with him. God said in Malachi, from the days of your fathers, you have turned away from me, my statues, and have not kept them. I don't, but I, this is the saving grace, right? Return to me. I'll return to you, says the Lord of armies. Friends, we need to rebuild our lives. We need to take our personal lives. We start with ourselves first. Rebuild our lives on solid ground, not shifting sands. Like Jesus told us, let me read you a story Jesus said in Matthew 7. I know many of you have heard this, but maybe it'll have a new meaning to you because of what we're looking at in our world today. 
Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it didn't fall for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house, and it fell. And its collapse was great. I hope you can see that the ways of man have failed us. They have led us astray. Don't miss this. The Antichrist movement is in the form of a culture that is going away from God. It's going into false teachings. A life that is opposite, anti to Christ, a teaching so false and so full of lies that it's permeated our lives. And not only our country, but the whole world. The battle of the Antichrist and Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, it's at hand right now. It's a cultural Armageddon. It's the battle of God's way of life or man's. I hope you can see it around you. Which way you guys going to go? Which way you're going to go? It's all around you. Our country is unraveling. I know it's no big secret to all of you. Our world's unraveling. Why? <laughs> because we believe the lie. We believe that our self-worth and security and satisfaction is wrapped up in us. It's all about me. We have largely been disobedient to the way God told us to live. Taking his words out of context, right? Twisting them to fit the way we think life should be. You know, I've had people comment to me, Jesus couldn't have meant, well, you know, looking through scripture, he couldn't have meant what he said there. <laughs> that would alienate some people. That's just not politically correct. Antichrist versus Jesus Christ. The teachings of man versus the teachings of God. So as we begin to close, how do we live in a cultural Armageddon society? And I'll tell you, here's a scripture verse that you can learn because it's only a few words long. And if you learn this scripture verse and hang tight to it and understand what, and unpack it in your life, it will change your life and those around you. It's from John the Baptist. And John said in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Man, I hope you're cons consider what a powerful and counter-cultural statement that is. He's saying, look, it, when Jesus is given the rightful place in our lives, we can be sure that we're in the will of God and we're serving the purposes he has for us. See, wherever we are, whatever our role in the body of Christ, and however vast or minor our ministry may be, okay, we need to understand when we, less of us and more of him, Jesus becomes central in our life. He has to increase we have to step back and go take, more, take over my life more. You know, the ways that we react to people who have the, the different belief systems than we do. I mean, think of Jesus' teachings. Did Jesus ever get mad at sinners? Did you ever see one thing where he's yelling at him? And go, who did he get mad at? Who did he get angry with? The religious people. 
Okay? If people don't know about him or what's going on, well, how can, like recently, my dog went blind. So all of a sudden, my dog's walking around the house, you know, banging into stuff. And he's banging into me. Am I just going to go kick him and go watch where you're going? <laughs> Do you understand our culture's blind? Do you understand our culture's blind? By you kicking him or shoving him or doing this, it doesn't help anything. We have to decrease. We need to let Jesus work in and through our lives. We need to stop getting angry with people because of their political beliefs or their pro-life or not pro-life and blah, 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 because it doesn't do any good at all. We need to be Jesus. We need to love on him. And look at I know you probably don't like some of these things that Jesus said. Some might bug me, man. He's like, well, you know, be nice to your enemies. Pray for them. Someone steals from you, give them more. Give them something else, whatever he wants. What? You know, but you understand what he's trying to say here? You're never going to change the culture. You're never going to change the world if it's still all about you, Paul. Because your feelings got hurt. Or I can't believe they don't believe the way I believe. I got, so maybe for some of us who got to know Christ later in life, like myself, I can remember when I was that other person. And you know what brought me to Christ? Not this. It was just the love of someone else accepting me for where I was at. And when God gave me the opportunity, I shared. That's all God's asking us to do. John the Baptist understood it was good for him to become less visible. Every Christian's motto should be that. I went way off track. But I can tell you today, he wouldn't be muttering under his breath, oh, those Republicans. Oh, those Democrats. <laughs> he won't be chastising the pro-abortion people. He wouldn't be out there, or those that are changing their sex or engaging in lawful practices or gossiping. He'd be there for them, on them, encourage, and not encourage them to act out, but to be there, to love on them. Be there when they fall, because they will fall. He stated in Ezekiel 34, this is what the Lord says. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should the shepherds not feed the flock? Okay, this I'm going to throw this at you. You may never thought of this. You're shepherds. You're going, what? Listen, you know enough to tell someone about God. You know enough. You can tell someone just how Jesus changed your life. You're shepherds. He's talking to us. He goes on. He goes, well, you eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, yeah, you, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you haven't bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you searched for the lost. But with force and with violence, you have dominated them. They scattered for the lack of a shepherd. They became food. Oh, boy, this is so true, right, our culture? They became food for every animal of the fields, and they just got scattered. God says, my flock strayed through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth. And he goes, and there was no one to search or seek for them. You know, Jesus was always out seeking, always for the harvest. Look at in Matthew 9 what he says here. Jesus, it says, Jesus, he sees the crowd and he felt compassion for them. 
because they were distressed. They were in anxiety. They were downcast. They were dealing with their culture of the day. There were people walking around right now. Their 401s are failing, and their, and their health may be going bad, or their kids are going the wrong way, or someone wants to get through this or that. And he goes, they're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, he goes, listen, the harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Our world is full of anxiety and fear. Jesus said in, in Mark 6, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them because, again, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then when he had the opportunity, he began to teach them. Listen, 99% of you, probably 99.9% of you will never be a Billy Graham, okay? But you can be who God made you to be. You know, in our current culture, you know how you bring people to Jesus today? You know how you share the word of God? One at a time. One at a time. Who has he put in front of you? I'm just stop from who has he put in front of you? Maybe someone you should invite over, have dinner with, go out for a happy hour somewhere. I don't know. Call them up. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not part of your foursome, but you include them. You see, when you're given the opportunity to love on someone, can I encourage you? All the scripture, everything I'm trying to tell you, to, when you get that opportunity, just do it. Your actions will speak loudly, and eventually it will give you an opportunity to share. It will. Eventually, I've had a couple experiences in my life where the last I've been living in a trilogy in La Quinta. I've been there 12 years. Just recently, I've had two individuals. I've been there 12 years. I know these people. I've been finally given an opportunity. Because people watch. They watch your life. They watch how you react to situations. So finally, Vance Havner said this. We sit in church. We listen. But he goes, we're not overwhelmed with urgency and the emergency. You know, the whole matter is one we can take or leave. We're leaning on other things. Friends, people are really dying, real deaths, right outside our door. And the only way to reach our friends, to reach our family, reach our coworkers, our golf buddies, pickleball, whatever it is, I'm telling you, memorize the scripture verse. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. It's the only way you're going to be able to interact in the culture that we live in. Because if I go out in the culture right now and I act on Paul Burst, I'm going to alienate people. I am just plain going to alienate them. I'm never going to get an opportunity to sit with them over a cup of coffee or a cocktail somewhere. I'm never going to get the chance because I'm doing this and I'm going to alienate them because it's me and more me. I have to decrease. I got to let God increase. I got to let Jesus increase. You do that through his, you know, reading his word, learning his scriptures, you know, all those things. But he must increase. I must decrease. I love this final quote, and then I'll close this here. It says, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. You know, a ship lives in the water. But if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. Amen to that? You know, I'm going to close with a song here, and then we're finished. I'll do a, uh, I'm going to make the song our final prayer. 
And the song's called Courageous. And if there's ever been a time in our lives that I've experienced being a Christian now for over 20-some years, there's never been a time for us to be courageous about who God's created us to be, about the redeeming value of what he has for each and every one, how he has been so kind and pulled us out of culture, opened our eyes to who he truly is. We're able to go out and relieve, help relieve anxiety and fear in those of so many people. But, you know, in this culture, we have to be... Jesus was courageous. Do you know he's one of the most courageous people? I mean, I think maybe there ever was. He had no problem standing up in front of Pilate, the most powerful man out there in Rome at the time. He had no problem standing in front of the big religious leaders. He had no problem standing with the courage because he let God... God was increasing, and the other people were decreasing. So can I encourage you? We need to be courageous.